And on Mind Matters this morning is Dr. Angela Bass, international psychologist. Good morning, Dr. Angela. Good morning, Shaz. And um, looking at this first article, apparently, and this is pretty interesting, um, if you have a fitness app running, um, especially if uh, you can track your goals, apparently, according to sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Wood and Dr. Martin Turner, it may be doing you more harm than good. They warn that apps like this contribute to developing an unhealthy relationship with exercise where people feel they need to, you know, do the fitness activity in order to have value. And then also there are the other extreme cases where, you know, every kind of activity needs to be uploaded and talked about on social media. So what are your thoughts on on this? I mean, I I think we live in an age where the question is, if you can't post it on social media, did it really happen? And, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about intrinsic motivation versus sort of externally bribed you know if the reward systems in the head uh, or rather in the mind the same ones are activated when you have caffeine or a person is on drugs the reward system in that you know someone liked my post somebody Mm. interacted on my post and so again you know I'm being seen I'm being heard and the problem with that is you need more and more of it to get the same high whereas for example in academics the long term results are better if parents can inculcate for example a love of learning as opposed to your worth is contingent on grades Mm -hmm. and exams and getting into the school then you're sort of self motivated just for the love of learning so with these apps it's you know constantly competing against yourself in an unhealthy way and with others all right well when we come back we'll find out how people with perhaps lower self-esteem can help themselves when it comes to fitness that's up next after celine dion here on light when your share of 15k with sounds like a song starts at 9 a.m on Mind Matters with me this morning is international psychologist Dr. Angela Bass. Now, uh, people with low self-esteem, it's great um, to be involved in fitness, but how can people uh, like these help themselves when it comes to perhaps not relying so much on social media and uh, apps Mm. per se? Mm. I think we have a tendency now, you know, with the ease of technology, it helps tremendously in quantifying and, you know, whilst I'm a believer of, you know, sort of an ounce of data is worth sort of a thousand pounds of opinion. I think it's healthier to, let's say, exercise because we want to be healthy as opposed to how we will look, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, Instagrammable. Um, (laughs) How much we weigh. We're so concerned about numbers. But remember, you can weigh the same amount, but whether it's fat or muscle, Mm -hmm. you know, is highly different in terms of how your clothes fit, your BMI, you know, pretty much your health index. So, you know, take a step back. Um, See how it feels to keep these wins to yourself. You can journal about it. Um, You can share it with a friend verbally. Mm -hmm. But see what it's like, you know, for a month to not post every successive win, score, map Mm -hmm. of, you know, your running trail, whatever, on social media. And then you sort of wean yourself off you know, the sort of compare and despair phenomenon. Right, because there are days when you're not going to reach your goals and what then, right? Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, before you're an athlete, before you're a runner, remember it's something you do, it's not who you are. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to subsume your identity and get lost because it's a very slippery slope where, you know, sooner rather than later... You're saying if I haven't made this time or I haven't run this much, then I'm a failure. All right. Well, when we come back, it's been eight days of tragedy, three deaths and one tragic connection, which is gun violence. It's something we'll be discussing next here on Light. 
It's a light breakfast with Shaz. On Mind Matters today, we've got international psychologist Dr. Angela Bass. And in the span of a little over a week, we've uh, heard or read about three suicides that have devastated communities already linked by mass tragedies. Two were young survivors of last year's massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And the latest one was a father of a child who was killed in the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. Their deaths have compounded the grief that still permeate these uh, two tragedies. PTSD has been a factor as well as survivor's guilt. Dr. Angela, let's talk about survivor's guilt. What is it one experiences when one has this? It's sort of the notion or the idea that I'm feeling so bad that I'm alive. Why me? Because these things tend to be so random. So it's sort of an existential sadness and questioning of why did this happen to X person and not Y person? What is it about me? And then the prospect of sort of having to live without that person who was not so lucky and that you are can be a tremendous burden mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, and then there's also the notion of if I had just done this, you know, what psychologists call should statements, I should have done this, I should have been here, then this would not have happened, right? It's the mind's way of trying to compensate for control. All right. So in a situation where you know someone is experiencing survivor's guilt, what kind of help can you get them? Broadly speaking, there's sort of two streams. One is the classical talking therapy and the other is neurologically. So neurologically would include things like, you know, I've spoken quite a lot on light about EMDR, EFT. So EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. EFT stands for emotional freedom technique. Both involve neurological ways through sort of tapping or eye movements Mm -hmm. to literally Literally release the trauma from a cellular level because there'll be flashbacks and things like that. And then the the analysis and the talking therapy where we work through issues that, you know, you couldn't help where you were Mm -hmm. and what's the best way to perhaps honor the deceased's memory, you know, because there is such a thing as post-traumatic growth. Oh, that's something I haven't heard of. So post-traumatic growth is essentially a lot of schools of spirituality and philosophy and psychology talk about the fact that heightened meaning, behavioral changes, actions can be taken for the higher good uh, post-traumatic event. You see life differently. The assumptions you had about life pre-event are radically changed. And it's sort of a form of mental alchemy. You can take the worst thing that happened to you and really, in some ways or a lot of ways, make it Mm -hmm. the best thing that happened to you because you learn so much and you change. And I'm not saying that needs to be the goal. You know, the, the goal is recovery and resilience. Um, but a lot of times, like we see in the Parkland shooting, a lot of those mm-hmm. children um, or young adults have become activists. Yes. That's post-traumatic growth. Wonderful. Well, when we come back, it, studies have shown over and over that the way we talk about suicide publicly can have astounding consequences. We're, we'll get to that next right here on Light. This morning on Mind Matters, international psychologist Dr. Angela Bass. Now, studies have shown over and over that the way we talk about suicide publicly can have an astounding consequence. Um, news of one person ending their own life can lead to more suicides, especially for people similar to the victim in age and gender. And in the last eight days, we've heard of three deaths by suicide. And interestingly enough, Dr. Angela, I've noticed that the headline was such death by suicide, mm. not committed suicide. Mm. Can you um, talk about yeah, and that? And I'm so happy to hear that. So, you know, to all media, including Light, well done, because media 
has a tremendous responsibility in disseminating information. We know that word choice, the way we speak to ourselves, the way things are written, tend to have tremendous effect. So when we say things like, you know, in in the past, committed, that really conjures and is associated with sort of crime and punishment. Mm-hmm. You committed a crime, you know, it's, yeah. it's sort of criminal or malintent. Whereas, for example, if there's a fire or a murder or a natural disaster, you died by that. It's something... You couldn't help. And, you know, quite often mental illness is a disease of the mind like any other organ and needs mm-hmm. to be treated as such. Right. In these latest cases, these three deaths um, that happened in the last eight days, uh, they were all as a result of mm-hmm. gun violence mm-hmm. in the past. Um, would you say that this was a knock-on effect? What would your comment be on this? So it's obviously really hard to ascertain mm. because suicide is a complex phenomenon so there's you know it's it's pretty hard to say what the causation is but i wouldn't be surprised of course if there is a correlation these are tremendously traumatic events and you know in year 1 there's a lot of media attention probably a lot of support sort of anniversaries you know the one year anniversary of the event happening or you know sort of a first holiday alone but you know as it's kind of like the follow-up wins. So the second year, third year, the support dwindles. Mm-hmm. We have limited attention and memory. And that can result in people feeling unsupported. Yeah. And of course, you know, every cultural context is different. Um, for example, how New Zealand handled it, right? Mm-hmm. In, in terms of banning assault weapons. I would hypothesize that that goes a long way in mentally comforting people. Right now, the U.S., is, for example, their gun laws are just sort of all over the place. And that doesn't give any mental support or solace that something good can come out of these tragedies. Okay. Well, when we come back, we'll take a look at uh, this article about how spending time alone could be good for your teens. So if they flounce off and slam the door on you, well, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> We've got that up next here on Light. Win your share of 15K with Sounds Like a Song starts at 9 a.m. On Mind Matters, Dr. Angela Bass, international psychologist. A new U.S. research has suggested that spending some time alone could be a good thing for teenagers when adults and teens had solitude imposed on them. Apparently, this was linked to lower well-being and feelings of loneliness, social anxiety, and depressive symptoms. But however, if the participants chose solitude, then this appeared to have a positive effect on well-being and was associated with improved personal growth and self-acceptance. What good can you get from being alone? I personally love being on my own. <laughs> I can ignore my whole family and stay in my room <laughs> in the dark by myself. Shaz, all are afternoon. you sure that's not avoidance? <laughs> it could be that. There you go. Yeah. But here's the thing. Like, I think that research is mirroring, you know, sort of everyday common experience that most listeners would have. When something's enforced, we tend to sort of rebel mm. and not like it. It seems punitive. But if chosen, then that sort of feels like liberation. So that's sort of the difference between walking into a flat and saying, oh, I'm lonely versus, oh, thank goodness I'm alone. You know, it is definitely a mindset. Now, as to the question of what benefits can come from being alone, every single conceivable benefit. (laughs) If someone asks me what's the number one reason that people come to therapy, there's many reasons, many manifestations, but I think it can really be distilled to the fact that most people have trouble sitting alone, quietly in a room. With their own thoughts. Absolutely. So everything, if you think about it, and deconstruct it, everything is geared towards avoiding that reality. Mm. So I'm scrolling through my Instagram feed. 
I'm hanging out with friends, mindless chatter. I mean, look at a grab driver, for example. Mm-hmm. Cannot sit alone with thoughts. Has to have the radio blaring. Where are you from? What's your name? <laughs> All of that, you know? Right. So silence is actually golden. Wow. And there's so much uh, research on the, the benefits of meditative silence and what it does for your mind. Okay. Well, society may seem biased towards uh, those who are extroverted. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, in any point of history, we have different cultural shifts. Like, for example, in terms of beauty standards in the Renaissance, being a, you know, a bigger size was considered attractive. Ruby the Rubenesque. There, exactly. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, at one point, Twiggy, so on and so forth, the models of, you know, the 70s London, size zero was, you know, en vogue. At this point in our cultural evolution, being loud and out there is sort of subsumed with, you know, success and knowing what you're doing and quite often probably at least once or twice a week I'll have a talk with a parent that it's actually our measured quiet introverts that become supreme court judges that you know mm. really have an impact on society that are very measured and balanced and we need all types doesn't mean right. it's dysfunctional right. wonderful thank you so much for joining us this morning Dr. Angela my pleasure Dr. Angela Bass uh, international psychologist of course this will be on our podcast a little later this morning after 10 a.m.